0: Hey everybody, it's James Tiley and Johnny Fry. Sometimes it's Johnny Fry and James Tiley. You never know what the order is. Last week there was no Johnny Fry, right? Oh, that was May 3rd. No Johnny Fry at all. It was me and Sean. Get out of it.
1: I was I was there. It's just that I didn't do the guest because you were talking to the man down under.
0: The down under on the bottom of the website, right? We that realized I I to was to down be under like he's you. in
1: Australia, Sean. Sean Al from Australia.
0: I was trying to be like you, and I was like, where can people find you? And then I went, (laughs) that's a dumb question. (laughs) But this week, we're back to normal. we got to be normal. If you could say anything is normal about what's going on with the markets, but we should go back to normal. So, James, this week, we're looking
1: at the lure of digital cash. But do you know what you're buying? And we'll have a quick, well, come on, just a minute. Um, People putting money, uh, people putting a lot of money in stable coins, capitalized over 130 or billion. um, But they really know what they're buying. Um, And potentially, are we going to see another type of asset completely blow stable coins out the water? After that, we've also got something looking at where are the very, very wealthy, some interesting figures from Boston Consulting Group, from Goldman's, from Knight Frank, the realtors. And where do the super rich invest compared to just immortals um, if they want to put some money away? Uh, and then a quick check in and looking at how blockchain applications are helping cyber security. Then after the break, we've got our friend um, Ify Benaro, um, and she's hot footing in all the way from Zurich, our Zurich Gnome or Zurich Gnome S, hopefully. And she's going to be looking at incumbents, like people already established in the financial service sector, asset managers, banks and how they're increasingly using tokenization. But rather than competing against each other, they're setting up alliances. They're setting up sort of, um, I nearly said cartels, that'd be a little bit naughty, but they're setting up organizations and saying, look, let's share the technology, let's share our knowledge, let's reach a common solution. Um, And we've got examples of that happening um, in in Europe, um, in in Asia, and, and to some extent in the States. So that's coming up after the break. So James, yeah, well, the me first off, oh, cartel, yeah, it's well, it's, not, it's uh, well, I, I my my head was spinning because cartel, the biggest obviously cartel we have in the world is OPEC. They basically, um, screw, I mean, control the price of oil. Um, and there's not much anyone can do about it, which is why you know the, pr- the price of gasoline, uh, is so high because when the price starts falling, then they stop producing, which keeps you know supply and demand such that they can maintain high prices.
0: Who drives a gasoline um, nowadays? Anyway, well,
1: you've got a couple of gas guzzlers. I know you've gone all green and super, super woke and got an EV, but you still drive a big gas guzzler, as well, you old devil.
0: That's because I, I follow the wealthy. I know where to spend my gas with the lure, <laughs> with the lure of my digital cash. Absolutely. Okay. So
1: what we, what are we talking about here? We, we're seeing. Um, more and more people um, looking at turning to um, central bank digital currencies as the central bankers and the governments are looking to promote these things potentially, but also looking at stable coins. And we you know, we've still got you know 1.4 billion that are unbanked in the world, and a lot of those people that are unbanked um, do have access to a mobile phone. If they've got access to a mobile phone or some sort of tablet or something like that. Then potentially they could get involved in the financial sector um in terms of lending money borrowing money making transfers so rather than paying um, existing incumbents um, a lot of money and the World bank came out some figures saying that the typical transaction two hundred dollars um, to do remittances um well that that's that's going to cost them four percent whereas if you had a digital option then the cost of moving money around really is is, is very very small or almost negligible and um, one of the Big criticisms of digital cash is I don't want the government, I don't want a third party to know where I'm spending money, who am I spending it with, and I don't want someone having control over my money because surely they can just turn off my digital wallet and there's nothing I can do. Well, that's all well and good, but governments do that already. Governments have so much data as to what you're doing. We've highlighted in the past how in Spain and France, it's illegal to spend more than a €1,000 in cash. Last year, we saw the Canadian authorities froze truckers' um, bank accounts and said, look, if you don't move your trucks and let us start importing and exporting across the Canadian US border, then we're going to basically freeze your bank accounts. And so make no mistake, governments have already got a huge amount of control over what you're doing. Um, So clearly, what we need to do is make sure that um, as we start to see more digital examples and digital transfers, digital cash, digital stable coins coming on board that we learn from the lessons of history and don't go back to what we had in the 1860s, whereby there were over 5,000 different currencies, but we need to make sure that the currencies that we're using are actually fit for purpose. Now we've taken as an example, Tether because Tether have just had their results um, reviewed. And it turns out that Tether made in the first quarter of this year, $1.48 billion just in a quarter. Now, that that means they've got over two point four billion in total. Partly, this is because they don't pay interest on the eighty four billion of other people's money. But what was interesting was that if you look at um, the amount of cash they've got uh, out of that fifty three billion, um, you know they've got fifty, they've got about sixty seven percent of the money in actual cash. And then on top of that, they're holding uh, um, repos, repurchase agreements. Um, they're holding um, non-U.S. Treasury bills. They've got corporate bonds, precious metals. They've got a billion and a half in Bitcoin. So, the, the, you know, 3.4 billion in, as I say, these precious metals. 5 billion in secured loans. Um, I don't know what other investments are, but 2 billion in other investments. So it's no surprise, if you look at the, the value, and we, and we put this in this week's um, Digital Bytes, if you look at the value of Tether, in last May, May May 10th, at one stage, um, Tether was trading at 98.48 cents a token. So that's 1.5% just over what it ought to be. And then the next day, it managed to actually have a, a spike, and it was trading at 101. So ideally, you bought at 98.5, call it. And then you you sold at 101 and you made yourself a tidy two and a half percent. But the whole point is, is that Tether is meant to be a stable coin. It's not meant to be trading at a premium or discount to US dollars. It's meant to be consistently at one dollar. So do people that are holding that 90 odd billion worth of Tether, do they really understand what they're getting involved in? Um, Or is this why regulators are saying no, 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 we've got to be really careful with these stable coins because, actually, they're not stable and they could cause some real problems. So,
0: just it's just interesting, James, I thought. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you're really good, you trade Tether, unlike USDC. If you're going to have a swing like that, 2.5% is really no joke in no. the normal world. But, you
1: know, and bear in mind the, the, the turnover... Um, of, of some of these stable coins is it's not not insubstantial, um, you know. Of, of, of on a, on any one day, you're seeing billions um, of, of of value being traded in 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 these states. You know, Tether is the biggest. You know, we're, we're recording this show on the nineteenth of May, um, and Tether has in the last twenty four hours has turned over sixteen point seven billion dollars on a market cap of eighty two point five billion. So this, you know, it's that's a lot of money you can move around. So even for the professional traders, the bigger traders, you, you can actually, um, you know, do you know, make 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 some good money. Um, and and again, in in the last, you know, as as literally as as we're speaking um, at. We're currently talking, James, at 1656 at 1625. So 30 minutes ago. um Tether was trading at just under just under a dollar, and at sixteen forty, it was trading at one hundred one. Again, so you could have sold Tether um, and bought it back and made yourself a tidy one well, percent. Imagine if you did that on sixteen billion, you'd be you'd be pretty happy.
0: And I think all of that is because our good friend Jay Powell is speaking while we're speaking. We're actually mm-hmm. missing his uh, his meeting, which I could really care less about, but. When he speaks, market goes wild. And it goes to show yep. you how Tether is uh, not exempt. A so-called
1: stable coin. So imagine what's happening to some of these other meme coins and some of these other cryptos. But, but James, more on that next week. I know you're, you're right working on an article looking at um, the volatility and bringing your experience of someone's worked in Wall Street for, you know, 20-odd years. And um, I know you're not keen to hold an open position um, even when we're doing the radio shows because all sorts of things can happen but but just moving back to the digital cash I, i'd like to suggest something which is probably going to be a little bit controversial but we talk about this in the article franklin templeton have announced they're going to digitize the cash mutual fund and so therefore bearing in mind that there is five trillion that's five trillion dollars investing cash mutual funds just in the us um, in the uk we've got 51 billion in europe there is one trillion euros So in cash mutual funds, these are managed by professional fund managers that are managing cash across a whole wide range of different deposit takers. So your money is very diverse. If you put your money in these cash mutual funds, you end up earning um, a little bit of interest, unlike a stable coin. So why not? Or is the reason that Franklin Templeton doing it? If you digitize a cash mutual fund, you could then potentially trade that 24-7. So you put your money into something which is regulated, professionally managed, diverse, and it's all and join the five billion in the US that's already there, and then link it to Visa or MasterCard, easily do that, or Stripe or PayPal, or maybe one of these fintech companies whereby they're going to take out the interconnector fees, either fees that they, the likes of Visa and MasterCard charge the merchants, which okay, in Europe, they're about, you know, 0.3 to 0.7 in america they're between two and five percent so these are the costs the merchants are having to pay to accept visa or, or or mastercard so could we see some new fintech entity come along and say look we'll be the interface between a cash digital cash mutual fund like franklin templeton and the, your local shop and we're only going to take 0.2 0.3 for that because the volume is going to be huge and we'll settle." immediately. So the merchant isn't going, to, isn't going to wait four or five days or a week to get their money because these things can trade 24-7. So I just wonder, will we see cash, digital cash mutual funds effectively make stable coins redundant? Because stable coins, there's a huge question over what, what are the rails it runs on, how they manage, how they regulated. it. Whereas your cash mutual funds, once they're digitized, these things are up and running. It's a known entity with a proven track record, professionally managed, it's quite a
0: compelling argument, I think, James. So I was thinking about this, and um, you know, in July we have that Fed Now over yep. here in the U.S. Fed Now is coming, which is going to be that instantaneous uh, settlement, right? Used to be you you go to the gas station, you swipe your card, and it says pending, right? They hold a hundred bucks on your card, and then it settles. Later, so there are times where that takes days. I think Fed Now is supposed to resolve that. So, in terms of immediate settlement, does that bite Franklin Templeton or, you know, whatever J.P. Morgan might roll out? Because now the advantage is federal.
1: Yeah, but but Fed Now, um, it's still rolling on the existing infrastructure. It's 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 relying it's relying on the banks. You know, is 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 that going to take out? You know, if you're if you're using Fed now, you're use how are you using Fed now? Are you having to go and buy something to be able to use it, or are you using it on your debit credit card?
0: There's I think they're deb- saying that we don't know. It's only the internal, it's the communication between them. Like Ripple, is really what it is. Well, so
1: so that's so that's interesting look how ripple ripple claim that they can take out swift right Ripple claim that they can do settlement in practically real time and they've got a network now which can be faster and cheaper than using the current sort of you know payment rails of swift so very interesting to see ripple have just bought medico medico is a is a swiss custody company and they've paid 250 million dollars That's the biggest amount of money that we've seen. Ripple splash out. So they're they're consolidating their position as an infrastructure provider in this space because Medeco basically have a custody service for digital assets. So are are we seeing Ripple about to make an announcement that they are able to not only do the transactions but hold the money in a highly secure, safe way? We'll we'll see. But the, the landscape's definitely changing.
0: Yeah, and that makes it just makes me wonder. So, this immediate settlement of what I would call like a money market account, you, you guys have out there like uh, is this a swarm. Swarm's a regulated exchange, right?
1: Swarm's a regulated exchange, Baffin in in um, in uh, Germany, or you got our checks to so another regulated exchange, digital exchange um, in um, in London.
0: So. Is that something they would integrate their blockchain or into a government-based, like? I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure. You need, I'm
1: not. Do you need a government-based thing? If you had, if you put your money, look, look I would say no. T- take, take. Well, precisely. T- look, Franklin Templeton got 1.4 trillion dollars under management, and and they, you know, let's say they've got a, they've got a cash mutual fund, and they decide that well, okay, well, we're now going to, well, they have decided we're going to digitize that. And they could then list that on, um, I don't know, ADX in Singapore and 6 in Switzerland and, um, you know, Swarm in Germany and Archex in London. So it's multiple listing. So this thing can now trade 24-7. So when you go and buy a coffee, you know, at 10 at night and I'm tucked up in bed, James, it gets settled. It's not a matter of, oh, can you wait till London opens and we'll pay you tomorrow? No, you get paid immediately. So bring about that instantaneous. Look, financial markets are all about confidence. And if you've got transparency, and this is one of the perverse things I find about stable coins, they're using blockchain. Blockchain's men are transparency. Why can't we have smart contracts running on these stable coins, which says this is the actual percentage now that are held in the following securities? Well, why not? Now, we don't have that you know, in, in mutual funds, which, you know, and funds in general, about one point, well, hundred and twenty or trillion dollars. You don't know typically the price you're going to get for your fund when you buy, when you sell for several hours, if not several days. It then takes, you know, you won't get your money for several days. Well, we're, we're proposing as you start to digitize these funds, this 100 or 120 trillion, you, you'll know the price you get when you go to ask for it. So it's like an ETF. There's independent market makers you say, James, this is the price. Do you want it now? Yes or no? No? Okay, wait. Do you want it now? Yes or no? You say yes. You know the price. And then you'll say, okay, we'll credit that to your account within the next hour. IT0, practically real-time settlement. So it's almost like dealing in cash. And if the underlying instrument isn't something whereby it can have a spread of 2.5% in a day, like we've seen with Tether, like we've seen in the last 24 hours with Tether, it's been a spread of 1%. It's something whereby you know it's rock solid because you know where it's invested. 95% of it is invested into cash instruments because it's regulated. And got a team of professional fund managers that have been doing this for you know many, many years.
0: But, but so you're James... Gonna go, but, but, you're gonna going to go to on. bed at night with your Tesla stock on Swarm, which is in a, a basket, might be a new ETF in the future. And when you wake up in the morning, the entire market has moved instantaneously. Maybe it pumped, right? We'll say it pumped. And you woke up a lot wealthier. Um, but it's all high frequency 24-7 now. Well,
1: yeah, why not? Well, and talking about 24, 24 trading, uh, see, Robin Hood have announced they're doing exactly the same. They're going to start trading a handful of stocks
0: 24-7. Because oh,
1: they, they realize that this is the competition um but james this well, kind of segues future. yeah but this this segues into the other article we looked at which is where do the wealthy invest and and i don't know why but um um the, the super wealthy um or the high high the ultra high net worth the, these are people with sort of more than 30 million u.s dollars um and we got a, some figures from um knight frank the, the realtors as you would call more state agents um and they've got about 30% of the money in their, in their either their house, home they live in, or their secondary home. They've got 26% in equities, um, 21% in, in commercial property, 17% bonds. Then they've got things like 9% private equity. Um, they've got 8% in commercial property through funds. Um, they're holding 5% in REITs, 5% in investments of passion so it goes back to your cars your wine uh three percent in gold and two percent in crypto and if you look at this as a as a sort of a, at a macro point of view um according to um some, some some other figures that we we got hold of um w- w- from ernst and young they were basically saying that roughly high net worth investors have 50 percent of their assets in alternative investments Whereas you compare that to just high net worth investors, you know, people may be worth half a million to a million, then they hold about 5% in alternatives. And historically, um, smaller investors have been excluded from hedge funds, private equity, real estate, um, you know, classic cars, antique jewelry, because they don't have, you know, a million or two million to be able to invest in one particular thing. They need the diversification, but as we start to see the digitization the tokenization um, you know like we've seen in in Switzerland with partners group they they actually came out with a in 2001 they came out with a digitized version of one of their Luxembourg C-cavs. Um KKR nearer to home to you in the states they've got a private equity fund four and a half billion the strategic two healthcare fund never ever gone to any investor apart from an institution now for a hundred thousand dollars you can actually get access. To that particular thing. So, as we start to see people being able to have fractional ownership of investments that were only the preserve of the super wealthy, we're going to bring liquidity. That liquidity is really good news for the super high net worth and in the institutions. It means they've got the ability to get in and out. They don't have to wait for the end of this five, seven, 10 year um, investment cycle of a private equity or VC fund. But for small investors, they can invest alongside some of these bigger institutions. So we're seeing the way in which people manage the money and the exposure that they can get, it's it, it's altering, but it's all going to alter at a very, very quick pace. And I think we're going to see a lot more um, alternative funds being made, made more available in the next, I would say the next 12, 18 months. We're going to see a lot of funds and a lot of alternative investments suddenly become available for smaller investors. Yeah, if
0: you notice the uh, the wealthier... You know, the, the ones above. Like, we're stuck with the most volatile crypto and equities. Yeah. And, you know, corporate bonds. And the wealthy, that stuff's stable. I, don't, I almost wanted to go with stable coin again. But real estate, gold, you could joke all you want about gold, but it's not as volatile, right? It's, it's kind of, it, you could say, upward. Right, that's why they're making money, but the regular people—it's almost almost opposite. The non-professionals are trapped in the more volatile investments. Yep. Yep.
1: And, and which is perverse. It's perverse. yeah, it's backwards. And and unfortunately, the alternative investments have performed a lot better than typically some of the. You know, so-called lower risk, less volatile um, you know, equity and debt markets. You know the debt market has had an atrocious time as interest rates go up. yet yeah, p- they're seen as low risk, um, but but you know, some some interesting you know figures again. You know, if, if I can, if I can quote, um, you know, J- J- JP Morgan, I uh, uh, reckon that you know we think tokenizations a killer app for traditional finance. That that that's what you know. That, you know, if you think about private markets, private credit. Private equity, private real estate are double the size of public markets, double the size, but have much much less liquidity. So there's a huge disparity. You've got these huge markets and no liquidity. But once you bring in small investors, they they can benefit from these markets and they'll bring liquidity in a way um, that we haven't seen in these markets. And, and then, according to Ernst and Young, you know I, I mentioned the report and we we give links to to the report on this. M- m- millennials are three times more likely to use a digital wallet than older generations, twice as likely to buy alternative assets with market volatility. So emerging innovations such as fractionalization of financial securities and tokenization of physical assets or legal titles may be attractive to millennials and emerging Gen C clients. Adding fractional investment to product offering can provide increased recruitment and satisfaction amongst younger investors. So these are... Major institutions and organizations who are waking up and realizing that actually there's a, there's a demand, there's interest um, you know, in, in these types of investments going forward.
0: I wonder if the majority of these alternative markets are actually emerging markets. It used to be the hot thing with emerging markets, but they weren't trying to be alternative, right? They were trying to break into mainstream. Yes now we're, it seems we're going the other way with you know insurance and custodial markets and it, it's it's all emerging but it's an entire alternative in in life
1: well and and it's interesting because again um
0: it's probably you know, a millennial when, thing
1: yeah but when you're talking about emerging markets um it's interesting that um the concerns over cost and transparency the the biggest concerns are in asia pacific or Latin America, not typically in um so called sophisticated markets of europe and um the u s so asia pacific sixty two percent respondents latin america seventy three percent respondents were worried about the cost of transparency um and therefore these sophisticated These so-called emerging markets, I think, will turn to alternative investments much faster because they've already seen um, the ravages of inflation. They've already seen some of the challenges around corruption um, and manipulation. And therefore, they're looking for something that can give them much more transparency, um, much faster execution so that they've got more control over their finances. So we may find that the so-called emerging markets actually start leading the way for adoption. And having just seen the the, 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 the complete about turn and change in Hong Kong, it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops. Because Hong Kong, of having shunned crypto, and now seem to pressing on an open door and say, no, no, um, we're going to force you certain banks. You've got to bank crypto companies because we want to start seeing this um, in a more regulated space. And if it's more regulated, we control it. But we, having said no, they would now appear to be very much saying yes to the adoption of crypto.
0: And Next thing you know, our treasury T bills are in a digital wallet.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But James, we we better we better push on. We we haven't got a chance to cover the. We did do a, looked at another t- topic, which was the um, sort of you know, despite the mass investments into data protection um, and threats of cyber and the, the like, we're still seeing lots and lots. You know, they reckon in two thousand twenty two, there was over six trillion dollars worth of cyber attacks. Um, and you know we've got some stats saying there's over two thousand cyber attacks happening every day. Companies are pouring lots, lots of money into protecting their data, um, and blockchain is one of the ways that's being used to actually uh, make things a little bit safer. But um, if if anyone wants any more information on that, then please contact either you, James, at Cyber FM, or myself, Johnny Fry, at Team Blockchain, um, and you can download a copy of um of this week's newsletter and you can have your own free copy just sent to you just go to um you know to, to register you can get it comes out every wednesday and all you've got to do is go to uh, digitalbytes.substack.com so that's digitalbytes.substack.com and just go and subscribe and you can then have your own, own copy but coming up after the break james we've got effie who's been on here before and as i said she's gonna be talking about how to dish- financial service companies are doing more and more digitization more and more tokenization but to do so they're creating alliances they're working together in the past most of the companies didn't work together they were seen as the competition the enemy keep all their information safeguarded and secure now they are saying, no no this is a huge market mass opportunity for all of us let's agree some common standards and the like and we're seeing if you like um collaborations happening in various different jurisdictions of some of these big financial institutions but More of that after the break, James.
0: Sounds like a plan. Let's go get Effie. (laughs) Hey, everybody. James Tiley and Johnny Fry over at uh, Digital Bytes with a team blockchain newsletter. uh, Our friend who's been here plenty of times, I think, at this point, Effie, she, uh, Effie Pillar, oh, I'm going to screw it up, aren't I? No, Pillar. Pillar. Th-
2: think Pillar. Pillarino. Pillarino. Pilarino.
0: Pilarino. Yeah. See, I could do it like Italian. Pillarino. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah, so- New York Italian is coming out again, James.
1: That's why yep. I destroy names.
2: Yeah, but, but you know, I do come from an island in Greece that is half Italian. It's, uh, it's between Greece and Italy. And, and while... Greece was under the Ottoman occupation for 400 years. We were under the Venetian and British occupation.
0: So there it is. The why.
2: two and Johnny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. The Italians and the Greeks are very, have a lot of close knits to each other. Even with the food. Yes. Yes. And the the way they raise their
2: kids and especially their sons and everything, you know, um, they stay at home. Uh, until they are sixty-six, I think. <laughs>
0: oh. oh look, don't, look, don't wish hang that on, hang upon on me, whatever you do. Look, you know,
1: enough about this. If we we've got you got you on the show because we were fascinated. You wrote an article um talking about the incumbents embracing tokenization and different alliances are taking shape. Now it's quite a mouthful. Um but you, you come with some really interesting figures. Um but before we get into it. Do you mind just giving listeners a little bit of back, um, background? Um, I know you've been on the show before. It would be great to just get a little bit of background about um, your experience because it is very interesting and very relevant. Um, and also, um, you know, what encouraged encourage you to write this article.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, I do come from uh, the traditional world of finance, the wholesale world of finance. I started my career at the tip of Manhattan um, in Seven World Trade Center, which was adjacent, obviously, to, to the Twin Towers at Salmon Brothers. And I've spent um, the first 10 years of my career in uh, fixed income structured products. So that gives you an idea of the, the kind of background that I have. And, and I mentioned this because it's important. It links very much to this concept of Tokenization. That um, I, I think that at, at least at the institutional level there is a buy-in. At this point, um, we all know that um, uh, BlackRock Larry Fink has has really come out and said that um, okay, tokenization is uh, the future, uh, and and uh, I guess he must be behind the scenes doing something about it but really that is the direction and there's different initiatives around the world and I'm very much interested in um that um, topic because it is um the the right direction for capital markets we will be going there uh, how long it will take and in what shape or form that's I guess the exciting. Part uh, of it, and and uh, who will provide the structure, who will um, be able to uh, take advantage of the business models that will come out of this because tokenization will mean uh, some type of, um, definitely some uh, disintermediation uh, with respect to the way capital markets work Today, okay, so if
1: we can can we can we just perhaps just stop there for a second? So we're talking, so BlackRock, many listeners will be aware of it. They're the biggest fund manager, US fund manager. They've got operations literally all over the world. They're the biggest fund manager in the world. So when the CEO stands up and starts talking about this thing, tokenization, then, um, and we've already seen other examples of, um, you know, people like Alliance Bernstein and um, Franklin Templeton and a, a number <laughs> of other companies talking about what do they mean by tokenization? Because... It wasn't that long ago, it was only in the 50s, that we saw, if you like, funds being unitized. And we saw the creation of mutual funds, unit trusts in this country, CCAVs um on the continent. What's the big deal about tokenization then?
2: Well, the big deal uh, <laughs> about tokenization from, for the, from the business perspective, meaning mm-hmm. you know, for all the professionals that are creating these financial instruments, Uh, and processing them and managing them, it probably, they're more interested in the operational efficiencies that that come out of this. But on the other hand, on the other end, there's other valuable um, uh, results or or side effects if you want. Uh, We will have more transparency, which is much better for regulatory purposes. Yep. We, we can have more democratization. So more access to capital markets because it will be economically viable to put together a deal that's smaller um, uh, than before. Right now there are many private deals that it just doesn't make any economic sense to offer them in smaller sizes. Even, I mean, today, you know, if you want to buy a bond, if you and I want to buy a bond, a corporate bond, I mean, we can't buy a corporate bond for, you know, $500. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about something very sort of exotic. And and all this has to do with the operational efficiencies. Well, uh, and if
1: you're going back to your fixed interest experience, likewise, if, if we wanted to issue a bond, you know, typically you're not a corporates aren't going to issue a bond unless it's what, $7,500 million. Exactly. Whereas if it's more efficient and cheaper than uh, medium sized companies, we may well see bond issuance coming out at sort of, you know, 20, 25 million. So it enables those companies to have access to capital markets as well. So, uh, democratization, as you've already mentioned.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, loans, you know, if loans are tokenized. Then 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 we're talking about, you know, a much more um, transparent and it, it will be much easier to create secondary markets for these types of financial instruments. Um So, yeah, it's it's just opens up a whole new
1: world. Okay, so if that's tokenization, what, what evidence is there of this? You're saying that alliances are taking place. Are these are these um, what existing players, ex- traditional um, financial institutions? Normally, they compete head on, and the last thing they want to do is is, is give away their their secret source and give away any distribution or capabilities. They normally go it alone, but there does seem to be some evidence that they're now actually trying to work together, doesn't there?
2: exactly you see uh, alliances uh, uh, whatever you want to call them in the form of networks where basically they're getting together to design infrastructure that they that will enable them to tokenize different assets and and you know get together and understand this technology so uh, <laughs> why are they not competing Because obviously this space is not an easy space Mm -hmm. to change the infrastructure, uh, whether it's for payments or capital markets. It's really a tough um, um, initiative if you want a tough uh, goal, because um, as they say, you know, it's very difficult to change tires when the car is moving. So how are you (laughs) going to change, you know? Think of uh, let's think of the stock market or or you know the futures market or the bond market that we mentioned before. How do you change all funds, mutual funds, and so on? How, how are you going to be able to change all that infrastructure? You really need to to get all the entities on board, uh, and and that's not easy. So uh, it does make sense to form alliances to start um, creating clusters, if you want, that are using this new technology and slowly and gradually it gets uh, adopted. Now, what is interesting in all this process is that most of the alliances that are formed are incumbents, so existing big financial institutions, which means that they are realizing that that's, where we are going. They don't know how to go about it. So they get together and they try to share um, infrastructure, pilots, and, and you know, they, they are really um, what you would call like R&D labs, uh, collaborative or cooperative R&D labs. But it's important to understand that they're Mostly focused on using blockchain um, in a permissioned fashion, while where the innovation is really happening is with public blockchains, layer one and layer two public blockchains and, and DeFi. But um, you know that that's the way they're they're approaching it.
1: Okay, so these but these permissioned blockchains, or otherwise referred to, sort of using distributed ledger technology. This means that the there may be a, just a, a handful of people that have more control and influence over the, the the platform, the data, the information, as opposed to a public blockchain. You know, something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, whereby there's potentially thousands of parties. No, one, it, they are very decentralized. So it's sort of almost decentralized, but but not totally decentralized. Is, is would that be a fair little summary?
2: i would say yeah i wouldn't use the word decentralized i would use that they're permissionless whereas right. uh, in 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 the case of these consortiums if you want or or mm-hmm. uh, networks uh, you have to be i guess a, a, an authorized participant in the network in order to engage in the network um right. So, so it's, it's not a, a permissionless open network. It's much like, you know, the internet versus some, um, ecosystem like, uh, Facebook or, or, you know, Sorry. Google, uh, or whatever. You need to have some permission to engage and there's different tiers of, um, of permission.
1: And presuming that would give regulators a bit more comfort because it's it's not, as you say, it's not decentralised. There is a, there's almost like, a, there's some barriers to entry, there's some gates, there's there's some controls because it's, it can be very difficult for regulators, almost everywhere in the world, to go from a situation whereby it's almost been a command control structure where, um, well, more and more we've seen um, individuals personally being fined or potentially going to prison um, and that 's a very controlled centralized structure if you do something wrong you personally are going to pay as a, as a director or senior manager in a company um, that 's regulated to a situation whereby oh it's it 's totally decentralized you know, i know there 's been a lot of chat about decentralized autonomous organizations DAOs. but where are they based what what regulations are they conforming to who who 's making these decisions it's that's a that 's a big leap for, for regulators to to go and embrace that type of structure day one isn 't it
2: it is, it is, completely. It is. We are talking here about a, a peer-to-peer network where anybody could enter, um, if you're talking about the permissionless and, and that's really tough, especially in, in financial services. So right. so, you know, starting from these um established entities that are already players. In, in um, uh, the securities market, we're talking here um, in some way or fashion, they can be a bank, they can be a custodian, a, a stock exchange, some tech company that is involved in the processes of, of managing um, uh, securities. Uh, We we can be talking about companies that lend securities in the traditional trade and so on. So these are the type of entities that are in these networks that are um, testing how to operate, as you said, with a a distributed ledger technology, which uh, can enable them to, to process um financial transactions in this
1: different way um uh, okay yeah. and, and if you where, where, where do you how long is this going to take you know when are we going to be um you know do, do, do we ask you to come back in in six months in eighteen months in ten years what well, what's your what's your hunch because you've got some great experience you know you've you worked in the states um for a number of years you're now based um with with the zurich gnomes um and you know the Swiss have been very progressive. Of this is there a real momentum where we're going to see some some quite fundamental changes? Do you think over the next couple of years, or is it going to be a bit longer than that?
2: I think the next couple of years for sure. I mean, here in Switzerland, uh, as 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 you know, we do have the first um, um, digital exchange where uh, small businesses, any business. Can um, uh, list shares, so basically you're tokenizing the equity of your company. You and I could do that, and that's a start. Uh, uh, so, so there is a custodian for this at the exchange, and uh, there are processes there to uh, trade these. Of course, you know the, the technology is there. It doesn't mean that we have liquidity, but both the technology and the regulatory framework exist here um right. and and um i think you know between switzerland and singapore we will be seeing more of this um we 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 are already seeing uh, scattered isolated businesses that are tokenizing existing Financial instruments like hedge funds and and private equity funds yeah. and so on, or what you you refer to before, Franklin Templeton tokenized the money market fund. Yeah, yeah. So so those types of scattered innovations are are the usual way, and that, and that's that's what's happening. And yeah. there there will be one or two jurisdictions that are ahead because mainly of. Not only the technology, but the regulatory uh, clarity, and and we'll go from there. And also, let's not forget, Johnny, that uh, the traditional markets in the U.S. And, and in Europe want to go to T plus zero, yes. right? And that is like, okay, how do you do that in the traditional with the traditional infrastructure? That's asking too much <laughs> from oh, the... it
1: well, it was Interesting. The US firm Calstone, who did a lot of fund administration, they did a survey um, recently and they, they claimed that 60% of fund managers were still using faxes. And, yes. you know, in a mutual fund, you got T plus, oh, how long you got? Two, three, four, maybe 10 days? Yes. Um, yes, whereas yes. T, uh, T zero, sorry, listeners, is, is basically I do a trade today and I'm expected to pay for it. Yeah,
2: and not only that. Uh, I mean, I, I, as as a, an investor, as a, an individual, you know, when you you sell your mutual fund, you don't know what, at what price you're selling it, right? Yeah. You're going to be told the price when it settles. Like, yes. I mean, we we are living in a world that has all these contradictions. Um, it, it, it's the same world. I was reading, I think, yesterday that Robinhood uh, is going to um, offer for certain stocks like Apple and Tesla and so on yeah. trading twenty four seven. So, so you, that that's that's where we are going, but we really don't have the infrastructure to support this, and it, it's it's risky and costly. Hmm. Hmm. At the end of the day, um, James, so- any
1: any any thoughts? I, I know that unfortunately the clock is ticking. But any thoughts, ideas you you that spring to mind with and I talking like this?
0: The only thing I was thinking about was I heard you guys talking about the big banks, BNY, State Street, J.P. Morgan, and you know I can't go out and get that seven billion dollar bond. So how do you envision real high level? I guess this affecting the regular guy like me? You mean the tokenization? How will that affect... Uh, yeah, these enhancements uh, that these banks are doing, and you said they're more transparently kind of working hand in hand. Does this make the rich richer, or does this help me out?
2: Well, I mean, the rich richer is, is is another big discussion because it's, it's about um, uh, who will um, uh, sort of take advantage or design the business model that is suitable for this world and therefore take advantage of this. Um, and I don't know the answer. We don't know the answer. But in terms of, of the end user, tokenization is definitely going to um, reduce the cost of investing. It's going to allow more diversification. For you and me, right now, you know you can invest in in real estate in two ways mainly. It's you know the physical you, you you buy real estate and that you know is limited in your portfolio, and you can go into funds or or wrappers like REITs. So tokenization is going to allow us to create much. Better wrappers like REITs, um, much more personalized wrappers. Much uh, more transparent. Much more transparent, much more customized. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that will be uh, with, uh, with our investments, with our cash flow management, there will be much less frictions in terms of uh, managing our financial assets. And right now, uh, it, it's, it's quite difficult for uh, individuals to, to manage their, their financial assets.
1: And, and Jones, I actually think for the first time for a while, it's actually a win-win for both the very wealthy who currently have access and control these assets and smaller investors. And the reason I think that is the case is that smaller investors will bring um, this thing called liquidity. They'll bring lots of Five hundred dollars thousand pounds, two thousand euros to the table, and that will give liquidity, which will mean that larger investors will then know that they're not locked into an investment or a fund for three, five, seven, ten years, which a lot of these funds typically are because there'll be a if like a pool of smaller investors that will be able to participate and I think a good example of that is what we've seen in America with KKR, where they for the first time. Um, They are now going to allow access to their private equity funds to non-institutions because they're going to digitise one of their private equity funds. So it's good news for existing holders of that fund because it means that um, potentially there's some liquidity, i.e. you can get out if you want to. And it's great news for um, smaller investors because they can now get exposure to that fund, which really was only, the well, you couldn't do it unless you were an institution. So we could well see a win-win.
2: Yeah, and a, a similar example, Johnny, is with Partners Group here, the private equity firm, you know, based out of Switzerland. They're they're also very big, and they have tokenized through ADEX, a Singapore, um, a company, fintech company that's that's regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, and they have tokenized uh, their a private um, equity fund, the most, the biggest one. So you and I. Can go and buy that with a minimum of ten thousand um, uh, dollars, uh, and and before it would only be a minimum of a million. So completely out of uh, the range of of you know ninety eight percent of people. Because even if you had a million, you wouldn't put it in one fund, right? You would want to diversify. So yeah. it, it it's benefiting you know even. Uh, high net worth individuals that can diversify much better their existing portfolios, institutionals, and retail. And also the other aspect is, think of, of small business owners and small businesses that we all know in most economies are the biggest part of the economy. They will be able to benefit from tokenization because they will be able to tokenize their equity of their business. They have a business with, you know, five people or 50 people or 200 people. I'm talking businesses of that size and they will be able to um, easily, much easier and transparently than today, uh, offer shares and sell their business or sell equity in their business. Today, all these markets are very, opaque and, and uh, really non-existent
1: okay brilliant Effie thank you very much how's the best way for people to get hold of you on, on LinkedIn
2: LinkedIn is is where is the best um, to to get hold of me and uh, you know I write every week uh, a blog and I share it uh, on on LinkedIn I write it on medium and I have a YouTube channel. And um I do interviews or I talk about insights. Uh and you can find me with my name,
1: E F I P Pilarino. And that's P-Y-L-A-R-I-N-O-U. Correct. Fantastic. Effie, thank you very much. James, thank you. Um thank again you. this week. And um we'll be back on the air next week with another edition of the Digital Byte Show. But um, meanwhile, thank you for listening. And if you would like a copy of Effie's article, then obviously you can contact James Tiley at cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry. i um, just gone to the teamblockchain.net website and um, there'll be a link there to Digital Bytes Substack and you can download Effie's article.